god yeah yeah i try to sink back ah but yeah you've got the embodiment the visceral experience of what clown so life coaches can tell you intellectual conceptual ideas of where we're going of what we're going for give you kind of heady um you know processes or mind maps like i'm a life coach i do lots of this kind of stuff but the clown drops us into the body into the visceral experience of what it is to be in connection what it is to be up there with nothing what it is to go into our anxiety and our panic and find laughter and joy in those places um and to connect with an audience and to be vulnerable um but not think about it just be with it and reap the rewards of what that is Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to magnificent, scintillating and transcendent human beings who will basically teach us help, and help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. If you like the podcast, please give us a review on iTunes, share it with your friends and subscribe. If you don't like it, don't worry, don't tell anyone. Uh, today, we have a magnificent guest. She is a renowned clown teacher. She is a clown uh, artist who's toured all over the world. And she is also an, an author who has a book coming out very soon. And Not so soon. <laughs> But her, her, what we're here to do today is we're going to find out that clowning is more than what you see in The Simpsons on Krusty the Clown. <laughs> we have the amazing Zuma Puma. Hello. <laughs> what an intro. Um, yeah, clowning is definitely more than Krusty the Clown. That is <laughs> more than it as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah there's so many things i remember what's it called um dan lees had an interview on the bbc on clowning and one of the guys kept on trying to say trying to push him towards saying that clowning is a lot like that but he answered it pretty well mm, yeah i i uh dan lees is a really good friend of mine um he also directed the show uh, my show that i toured um around the world and uh yeah i mean anyone who teaches clown anyone who's who lives and breathes the world of clown will uh, avoid <laughs> avoid comparing it to crusty the clown or it or the kind of mainstream ideals of clown um because yeah for a lot of us it's like a it's quite um it's a way of being it's a philosophy it's uh yeah a very uh intricate art form pretty complex <laughs> and it's very very one of the most sort of human connection based performances like in stand-up you have a script but in, in clown it's very more there's more of a connection more so than perhaps stand-up because it's stand-ups they have a script and they hide away from the audience in a way yeah yeah so in clown there's a lot of space i like to call it liminal space free space um i teach about this in in my courses um yeah which is getting used to moments where we're just in connection with our audience we uh take a breath from the script maybe because the audience want us to be guided more towards a joke with them than be attached to the idea to impress that makes sense yeah it's well, one of the funny things that i found was when i told someone that i was going to goliath and i was mm -hmm. doing the clowning school they they see it as that so they laugh straight away oh you're being <laughs> like 
give us a red nose sort of thing and dance around but they didn't see that you know clowning's taught many of the best performers out there like Satcha Baron Cohen, Emma Thompson, Helen Bolton Carter and Jeffrey Rush from Pirates of the Caribbean many successful in whatever field have done clowning. Yeah so you did did you train with Gollier? Yes I did until um, the pandemic sent me back here so I was, I was about to do the clowning module um in march and like all all these other modules but i bet i got in a second week of buffon and then i came back here yeah oh that's such a shame yeah well for me clowning i wouldn't say Gollier introduced me to clown but he was the first um teacher i ever had in the way of clown um yeah i first came across clown visiting the avignon fringe festival when i was 15 and it and it blew my mind that it was a, even an option in life. You know, I saw a couple clown shows um, and I couldn't believe that this was like an art form, that this was a, a direction people took um, in the way of performance careers. And so I went to Collier when I was about 18. Um, yeah, and really changed my life. I got obsessed with clown because I was so bad at it. <laughs> like anybody who goes to Gollier, um, you're just terrible at anything. <laughs> For yeah. most of the time, maybe one or two days, you have some breakthroughs, maybe a week. Um, but yeah, it's one of the most challenging experiences I've ever had. And um, definitely the one that changed the course of my life forever. So the question is, how would you describe the girly experience? And one of the things I want to ask you specifically is how does doing it for two years differ to doing it for one year? And also how would you compare, how would you isolate the two differences between the misconception of clowning and what clowning actually is? Well, those are three very different big questions. Um, so, uh, firstly, the, the Gollier experience. Yeah, it was challenging. It was life-changing. It was life-affirming. Um, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. Uh, yeah, I recommend it for people with hard shells, but for quite sensitive um, beings. <laughs> I, I think there are lots of clown teachers who are brilliant and, um, you know, who are incredible uh, facilitators and don't uh, dis destroy your ego or self-worth. I wouldn't say that Gollier destroyed my, my self-worth, but I, um, yeah, it took me a while to feel courageous enough to get on the stage because the risk is so big at Gollier. The risk to get up and to perform. And actually when you get up in front of a live audience, a real audience, it's nowhere near as terrifying. I think that um, Sasha Baron Cohen actually writes about this in his preface in, uh, in Philippe's book, um, but about how much yeah, how much easier it is to perform for a live audience or for a camera than it, is, than it was to get up in that class. And that that was one of the most challenging experiences he ever had. Um, and I would agree, you know, and just like any life-changing um, course, it's going to be challenging. You know, if you're not meeting a challenge or attention, then there's no space for transformation, for you to overcome something. It's like, any story of like the hero's quest for for instance you have to meet the demons you kind of got to get to you've got to get to the gateway and cross a threshold in order to really bask in the celebration of what it is to overcome something challenging i would say that it was life-changing in the way of like it it has built the core philosophies that i stand by today and how I work and um, play with clown and uh, teach clown that 
pleasure is forefront, that connection to your audience is key. Um, that listening to your audience, that sensitivity to your audience, that willingness to play with the flop, to befriend the flop, um, is an opportunity we could bring the audience closer to us. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things, but mostly with Goli, I learned about pleasure. I learned about, um, yeah, I just learned how important it is to play, to follow the game, to find a game and then to continue unraveling the game and following the pleasure and just going wherever the pleasure takes you. And I think this is the kind of key uh, study that I, that I went on to live my life with. And what I teach now, like I teach clown as a way of life. My courses are focused around well-being and around the comedy of you. And I'm, um, and although I do work with professional actors, sometimes I work with anybody, you know, my, my focus is on life, is on how the philosophies and the visceral experience of clown can help us in our day to day life, achieve like better connection, listening to, you know, and to enhance relationships to um, follow our pleasure in life to stay optimistic when everything falls to shit and to go that didn't work but this will and um and i think that it was golier introducing these kind of core philosophies around following the pleasure that i kind of took and ran with and then adopted into life in the way of just traveling and seeing where you know where did my pleasure take me where did my joy take me and then who, how was my connection who were the people i was meeting and then what opportunities what wild mystery um lay before me Ooh. with each interaction what so there's two so questions I, yeah i answered one question i know that that was a long answer did you want me to or do you have a different different ones to go off oh no now i've got different ones to go off because <laughs> <Right, go on. laughs> uh, because now I want to see is, so two questions now are like, how does doing the full two year thing differ to the one year? Mm -hmm. And how, because you, you mentioned, yeah, could you specify how it well, changes? I didn't actually complete the whole two years because there were some modules I didn't do because I got work elsewhere. But yeah. I had a, a professional job, so I decided to take a break and thought I would go back. Um, and then I didn't. Um, but then at that point, I had discovered some other kind of clown gurus in the world, clown, major clown teachers. And uh, I thought I could go back to Golier and finish my two years or I can continue um, my studies with the, you know, follow, follow the pleasure to the next one. And so I continued, I did a year long course with Francine Cote in Montreal and um, and I went to Vermont and I apprenticed uh, Bread and Puppet, which is more kind of Brechtian, kind of raw clown and um, with Peter Schumann. And I, and I continued just, yeah, training with all sorts of people all over the world and eventually coming to London and um, collaborating with a bunch of Goliath people. We started a clown camp Kind of clown school where we met uh, every Monday for five hours uh, every week um, for about five years and every couple months we invited in a different teacher um, to work with so that we got a really eclectic and varied approach to clown and um, studied a lot of different philosophies and styles and aesthetics of clown. Okay. Yeah. That, and how it's something that I would really like to look at because during the school it's interesting looking at different people and like because I really like to analyze because I will go back to that at some point but probably not this year mm -hmm. um, but I I want to look at what what benefits doing the full thing brings like specifically as you said like with the course itself it's not suited for everyone and I and I'll, I want to see whether it's needed or not 
because if you if you spend if you're just doing things for the sake of doing it there's no point you have to see how is it going to help me like how is it going to develop you or how is it what what can it add to you i i don't know you know to be honest i know people i don't think sasha baron cohen didn't complete the two years um no. you know helena bonham carter i don't think completed her two years either there i I don't think it's necessarily there's like some prize at the end of the two years that suddenly you're a brilliant clown because you crossed yeah. that mark. I think the teachings of Golier, once you, yeah, once you've been there, I think three months is the kind of minimum amount to get, uh, to soak up his pedagogy and the way that he works and for him to kind of get into your brain, into your skull. Um, and I think after that point, it's how do you take his philosophies and his work into your life? How do you apply that to the stage when you get back up into your stand-up and you're there with your audience? How are you applying all of the philosophies that he's taught you? And it's that that's going to make the, you know... The difference. The difference. So yeah. I think it's, it's not like... Um, I think it's like with any course right? It's like you do a course and it doesn't necessarily, it makes you a master. No. Whether you continue to do your 10,000 hours after that course and continue to adopt those philosophies and work and like deepen your practice, then I think that's when the light bulbs start really happening. Like for me, I was so young when I was at Golier. Um, I even when you know, I did go back when I was 24 and that's when I did uh, the next bit that I did. Um, yeah, and I think thing, the, the ball didn't drop for me until I was about 25 or 26 when I was running the Lost Cabaret. And when I started the Lost Cabaret, um, that's when I started getting it. I started getting everything that he was teaching us because I was up there and I was practicing and I was gigging, you know, sometimes four times a week and I was running a regular cabaret every Friday night um, with new audiences to play with, to try things out on. Um, and I started to understand a lot of the things that he, that he taught me. Yeah. And so that people become educated on clowning, like how does it differ to what people would say, like who, 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 I'm it, or like I'm crossing the clown sort of thing? How can you sort of describe the key differences there? Because a lot of people still think that. Yeah, of course. But just like anything, acting isn't just film acting. There's theater acting, there's immersive performance acting, there's like, it's same with clown. Clown is like an umbrella term for many different aesthetics and ways and forms of clown. And um, yeah, there's certain, the reason why we identify it as Cressy the Clown or It are because those two are versions that have hit the mainstream. The mass majority of people have seen the It movie or have watched The Simpsons. So um, immediately that's going to put an image in their mind and go, that's, that is the, that's the reference for clown. Um, just like maybe in the 1920s, the Barnes and Bailey circus in the U.S. would be the kind of main reference for clown in the U.S. today, would be um, circus gag, Barnes and Bailey kind of clown, or... Um, yeah, if you've gone to a kid's birthday party and there was a clown there, you would then reference children's clown as the way, you know, what clown is. But ultimately, yeah, there's a lot of different types and aesthetics and ways of clown. Also from country to country, it differs. Um, clown <laughs> in Canada is different to clown in Europe. You know, there's like a Canadian form of clown. Um, which was brought about by Pachenko, who was actually one of Goliath's students, but he devised and created this own, his own way of arriving at clown and theater, a theater form of clown um, called Pachenko or Clown Through Mask. 
and um, that's it's a bit more um, philosophical or psychological in the way that <laughs> you're working with uncovering kind of uh, your multitude of inner personalities and then your clown sits and plays between all of them and the joke is the la you're laughing at you um, and um, it comes about through mask and you use you start with like making masks and then your clown comes from the mask and it's, it's a whole style in itself um, and then there's just so many different types of clown and where a clown, you know, there's the fool or the jester or street performance clown, there's theater clown, there's comedy clown. And then, you know, I'd say my friend Phil Burgers um, or Dr. Brown, you know, I feel like a couple years ago created a whole other subgenre of clown, ah. alternative comedy clown, which you see at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival today, which I would say that Philip Golia really harnesses and supports and feeds that kind of, um, yeah, the idiot. Yeah. yeah. Although maybe some would argue that Phil is more bouffant than he is clown. But then there's loads of debates even within the clown community of what clown is. And uh. I think most of us can agree that clown is um is a state of play it's a state of playing and being with your audience connected to your audience so there is no fourth wall you're entirely playing with the audience and you're playing with the idiot of you you are the butt of the joke in a way and it's an embodied expression as opposed to a witty expression. You're not trying yeah. to appear intelligent. Your intelligence is within your stupidity and how your audience connect and recognize themselves within you. And then intelligence is like being very, as you say, connected to the audience. So like if you're interacting, you're doing a performance and you notice something that's quite funny and it would entertain the, sh the audience and show. Like I remember someone telling me that, um, Virgo Von, uh, he did this like 20 minutes trying to guess this man's name. <laughs> but, and that's, <laughs> yeah, it's not supposed to work, but he recognized the situation and the scene and he knew that would work. So that's yeah. why he did it. Right. He found the comedy was not in the, it's not what he was doing, it was how he was doing it. Yeah. For instance, how, you know, a couple of years ago, actually, I went to a show with Dan Lees and it was about a clown who had a, a problem with a chair. And I'm pretty sure a, he took a whole hour just to sit in the chair. I was unbelievable because it was so believe it was it was so believable. This idiot who couldn't figure out how to sit in a chair and it wasn't what he was doing. It wasn't the you know the complexity of sitting in this chair it was how he was doing it how we believed that he was this you know idiot who couldn't figure out the chair or the uh yeah like how to sit in it properly how to <laughs> there were a couple other things that happened it wasn't just the chair but it was um it was like how a clown can take five minutes just to raise an eyebrow and it's one of the most amazing moments, you know, or, um, yeah, there's, it's not what you do, it's how you do it with clown. So it's not yeah. like, it's different, it differs from stand-up because with stand-up it's what you say, right? We're laughing yeah. at the joke, we're laughing at what you say, the wit of what you're saying. Mostly, yes. Um, yeah? Uh, you're mostly right, I would say that. Yeah? That, that's like with a lot of stand-ups as a whole. Yeah, there's, there's, that's why a lot of, they say, really good stand-ups like Daniel Simonson and like Marco Leconte, they did a bit of clowning. And it helps because, as you said, with the connection of the audience. But most of the comedy I see is that it's just, as you say, the words. But... I mean, there are some some comedians that it is most. They say with a co comic, you're either a writer or you're a performer. 
so in the ones that I would say that are performer and it's not really the material, like you say, like um, Patrice O'Neill, he didn't necessarily used to write his joke or Bill Burr. It's the, a lot of what makes them funny is their, their persona or their clown, as you say, and how they yeah. can, and then they develop it. Well, like Dave Chappelle, right? Like he's lovable in the way that he delivers his jokes. Um, yeah. We're laughing with him, the ridiculous of him. But yeah, it's definitely, it is more, so you are right though, it's definitely more so what you say. Because I see a lot of the times, I've, I run a night in London where it's a comedy show and like comedians will do their set, but no one's laughing. They're not reacting what's there. And then they carry on just doing their set and somehow it's going to get better, but you're not paying attention. You're not reading what's happening. You're not, you've got to react what's there. If someone's heckling you or something, you've got to know how to play with it and make it fun. It's, it's a live performance. You're with, it's all about the audience and you, you and them having a good time. It's not about like anyone's ego. It's about having a good time and them having a good time. Mm -hmm. Everything else is secondary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's why I think clown is having a resurgence today because because it feeds every other art form. It's like you know um, a stand up with some clown training. It's like that connection to the audience, the freedom, the willingness to be in that liminal space, in that space where ooh maybe we'll leave the joke for a second or what I was gonna say and play with this you know the woman who brought her dog or for some reason or the guy who came in late or you know the person who's checking their phone you know how it's like playing with the moment of the risk of what could happen if where everyone's kind of on the edge of their seat um and i think the clown teaches us so well to play with those moments to play with the heckler or the moments where we don't nobody knows what's going to happen yeah and um, and I think that that feeds well into acting too, you know, and like any actor on a stage or even in the street, if they're a street performer. Yeah. Uh, that's why like, I think in, in a lot of clown workshops, you kind of have everyone from all different backgrounds, whether they want to be a clown or not. You don't go to clown school just because you want to be a clown. You go to clown school because you want to be a better performer or, um, yeah, or a better person, maybe somebody who, you know, yeah. you want to have an easier time connecting or relating to people. Yeah. Now that 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 brings me to an interesting point, because you said like clown helps with your mental state and like your connection with others. And I also meant saw that you do a bit of NLP. Mm -hmm. Like how does first of all, let's look at how yeah, could you specify how it how it can help with relationships and things that you wouldn't think it would help with oh yeah Life. yeah well so much about clown is connection and how you're relating to that audience then right we can't like attach ourselves to the audience that we had yesterday the audience that we have tomorrow just like if you're sitting next to someone on the bus uh it's like how are you connecting with this person what is unique about this relationship how um if you're stuck at a dinner party with you know, an uncle who's extremely boring, how can you follow the pleasure, follow the joy in your conversation to feed the curiosity so that you can, can bring this person closer to you in, in relating to you um, than being stuck in a boring conversation that you don't want to have? You know, where can you find like the, you know, it's the same as if you're in front of an audience and they're not enjoying the set that you've got going. Are you really gonna stay attached to the set, to the jokes that aren't working? Yeah. Are you gonna let go of them for a moment to connect with the audience, to bring them back in so that you can all have a better time? Um, because ultimately they're there because they wanna be entertained. You're there because you wanna entertain them. Yeah. So it's the same in the way of, um, yeah, connecting or relating. And um, there's so much in clown around listening and listening well and sensing almost intuitively whether an audience is with you or not, whether they're loving you or not. And this is the same in a relationship, like you're with your partner and um, you can tell they're not interested <laughs> in the conversation. You can tell 
when they're really with you, you can tell, ooh, something's not good, you know, let's talk about this, let's, like, you know, find a boy. Um, yes, I think there's a lot of parallels in the way that we connect, in the way that we laugh at ourselves, and, um, and the whole thing around how most problems, like in NLP we say this, that if in five years time you don't remember this as a problem, it's not a problem, you know? Oh. So if you think of any problem, any conflict that's happening in your life right now, and you go five years into the future, are you gonna remember that problem? Probably not, you know? If it's that the bus drove past you on the side of the road or, you know, and then it, it, the clown, I feel, plays with the joke of all of these human conflicts, these human experiences that are so relatable, and we blow them out of proportion and play with the absolute ridiculous that they could be. Um, and we all laugh at the idiot, you know, because we recognize ourselves in that. And so I think there's a lot in, in that way uh, with clown of of um, taking our lives just a, li a little bit more lightly, you know. Yeah. yeah, okay. So it's a bit like some of the benefits you get with improv. They say that if you want to be good at people, you do improv because it gets you sharper and listening and like how to respond off people's things. But clown is maybe less structured than that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of similarities with improv and how improv can enhance or improve your life. But clown focuses so much more on the connection to the audience than improv does. Improv, you've still got a little bit of trying to find the joke, trying to have one up or um, to appear as intelligent or witty. There's a bit more, um, whereas, yeah, in Clown, there's a lot more vulnerability. There's a lot more risk around uh, just being really vulnerable. And, uh, and I think this is kind of the key thing that Clown can offer in the way of life. You have all of these um, researchers today like Brené Brown and the study of courage and vulnerability and um, how her TED Talks are like transforming people's lives and her books um, and studies around the power of vulnerability and how that can bring somebody closer to you. And it can also diffuse tension, um, befriend enemies that uh, there's a similar thing in the study of vulnerability with clown. The more we can show ourselves or be willing to be seen and to laugh at all the different sides of ourselves, the more, um, yeah, we can really see someone else and connect with them on a vulnerable level, the closer they will be to us. Mm. That's true. Yeah. And it's... Hmm. You're giving me some things to think about there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So I think that's the only difference. And then you also get the similar benefits to improv in the way of like, you get the quick response, you get the listening and the, um, you get the kind of playing with jokes, playing with words, playing with the body, playing with movement, um, in being in the moment, feeding curiosity. But I think the thing that clown really lends itself to is the power of vulnerability. Okay. It's, it's very great what you've said there, because it, it reminds me of a lot of things, why people go to Tony Robbins concerts or like why we talk about like visualization, law of attraction and all these mindset based things. And mm -hmm. I've, I've done a, I did an interview with a life coach on this and I will probably send you a link and I would like to see <laughs> how you'd think like bits of that combined with clown because I, what, what you said there is exactly the same thing as a lot of things in life coaches say you get but in a completely different field a completely yeah completely different thing totally that's the thing it's like there's a lot of um different ways of getting to the same place you know um there's a lot of different directions to get to the same end but yeah, there is, 
I, I think the beauty <clears throat> of clown is that it's like you can get these incredible life-changing life-affirming um transformational moments you know um and then yeah and then at the same time you can get um yeah just the i've, I've lost where i'm going here with the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, that's hilarious. It never happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm keeping this in, by the way. <laughs> no, you can't keep this in. My face is bright red at this moment in time. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to sink back. Ah, but yeah, you've got the embodiment, the visceral experience of what clown, so life coaches can tell you intellectual, conceptual ideas of where we're going, of what we're going for, give you kind of heady, um, you know, processes or mind maps. Like I'm a life coach. I do lots of this kind of stuff. But the clown drops us into the body, into the visceral experience of what it is to be in connection, what it is to be up there with nothing, what it is to go into our anxiety and our panic and find laughter and joy in those places. Um, and to connect with an audience and to be vulnerable, um, but not think about it, just be with it and reap the rewards of what that is. I, I'm really intrigued because I did a, did a thing on Tantra as well. And it's not the American Pie thing, like yeah, where yeah. <laughs> it's, it's. I thought it was going to be that, but it's not. And he effectively says that change sort of goes on like twelve different chakras that you have, and that's why he says that occasionally with life coaches, that's why it doesn't work. But yeah, I'll, I'll send you them, and I'll be interested to hear what you say on those things. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious. Twelve different chakras of change yeah like he, he also sent me a book as well but yeah it's 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 one thing that i find very interesting about the podcast is that i'm speaking to a lot of people in different fields so i'm speaking like professional podcasters um speaking to professional businessmen in different mm -hmm. fields professional comedians comedy promoters um i even spoke to andre sinow who runs night fight which is basically you know like mma and ufc but it's all in sort of uh, medieval warfare type MMA thing. Oh, wow. Okay. And cool. there's certain themes in, in all these things that run across through people that have done their own thing rather than work for someone else and chased mm. after their dream. Right. It's the self-made, created business or something yeah there's a lot of mindsets that are, that are similar which go across different fields mm. i feel mm. what is what 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 mindsets so a lot of from with with everyone that i've interviewed one of the main things is of course freedom and like the not necessarily thinking about the big thing of getting money being famous but it's all about sort of doing what you truly want rather than what you think you want and seeing like being honest with yourself and as you said before about with clowning um it's not suited for everyone i spoke to delaney fisher who was a former comedian and she also wanted to be an actor at some point so what she did she spoke to a professional actor to see what the day-to-day -day life was going to be like and honest with herself whether it would be for her and so like if someone wants to do clowning maybe what they could do is interview someone who is a professional clown and tours one then go out and do it to see if yeah. it's worth it for them yeah in the way of like a profession uh it's definitely pretty niche and quite a difficult one but in the way of the study of clown just like anyone would go to a life coach i think clown could be like yoga in that way of it's so beneficial for life for anything it's not just for performers you know, I have people in my class who are retired people who um, are in, you know, um, 
yeah, who are maybe struggling in life or who are, um, yeah, just like a broad range who are professional performers, who are dancers, poets, regular businessmen, CEOs. I've got all different types of people coming out of these courses. Um, and I think because it's, yeah, there's so much, because it, it's so much about learning about who you are, how you are. And then at the same time, you're learning all of these skills, like uh, vulnerability and sensitivity uh. and playfulness and following curiosity. Like there's so many things that you, you take away from studying clown. It's really not just for the performer. Um, I'd say if you want to be a professional clown, you go train with somebody like Golier. Right. Or yep. like Mick Barnfather or something. But if you're somebody who wants to, you know, you're curious about clown and what it offers life of, um, there are other teachers like myself or like Holly Stoppett in Bristol, who focuses more on the individual and the you, um, aside from the stage. It's about clowning for life, not j just the stage. Okay. And yeah. One of the things that I find interesting about you is that you, you're, so you do clown across different things like it's like with Mayweather, I know you probably don't like him as a person. Well, I don't know. He's a bit, he's an iffy character. Who is he's it? Floyd Mayweather, the boxer. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a bit of an iffy character. But one of the things that's made him a successful boxer is that he sees things from both sides of the argument, like being a promoter and a boxer. And that's one mm -hmm. of the things that's made him successful. And so like with you and clowning, they say that because you teach it, it also helps you maybe understand it better. Mm -hmm. Because you teach it as well as perform it that that i'm guessing that must help with the shows and like help with your working with different groups of people definitely yeah sometimes for me it's easier to teach it than it is to perform it because i can see um yeah there's a there's something about seeing someone and the potential of them and the possibilities and then encouraging them, giving them the particular notes that are specific to that person that will help them have a breakthrough, take them to where they want to be. Um, sometimes it's easier for me to see that in someone else than it is for me to embody it. But definitely, I learned there's so much like massive penny drops that happen regularly in facilitating these workshops and being blown away by what's possible people coming into the course who on one day um, tell me that they, they can't speak in a group or with more than two people. And a few days later, everyone's, you know, they've got a 20 minute solo and everyone's pissing themselves with laughter. And um, yeah, and there's these big moments of penny drops of just like, wow, okay, when somebody unleashes themselves in full connection with their audience and are following the game. And then obviously then I have those moments in my shows and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, this is exactly, you know, and I feel like they feed each other. I learn something from performing and then I bring that into my teaching and then I teach something and then I see something happen that I didn't know was possible. And I go, okay, I want some of that for, um, I'm gonna harness some of that into my performance. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you've had quite a, so you've, you've, you, Clown has given you opportunity to travel and do all these different shows. And I mean, you're also set up now like a worldwide sort of cabaret comedy clown franchise. <laughs> yeah, the Lost Cabaret. Uh, the only clown cabaret that, or I don't know, the only cabaret that loses money. <laughs> the only franchise that loses money. I'm just kidding. I don't think we lose money. We don't lose money, um, but we don't do, we don't make much. Uh, yeah, we've turned into this um, community collective. We, uh, I, I started the Lost Cabaret in 2012 and um yeah it was really i 
I found it difficult being in London, there being so many stand-up nights and to do clown after a stand-up. Uh, it doesn't give you a real sense of whether your act works or not because maybe the audience just want a break from um, some, this like heady literal jokes, in which case no you could go up there and just like drink a, a glass of Coca-Cola in front of everyone, they give you a standing ovation, or they're really into the funny, the funny jokes and you go onto the stage and you do something and they hate you. And it doesn't matter what it was you do, it's a different audience that would go to your show if you were at Edinburgh. So in um, 2012, when I first came here, there wasn't much in the way of just like a clown night where all we're doing is exploring alternative comedy. So I started Lost Cabaret, which was a weekly comedy night um, where anyone was welcome except for stand-ups. Or you could come if you were stand-up, if you were gonna be in a potato costume or, you know, like, do something a little bit unusual because there's so many stand-up nights in London, but at this yeah. time, there were no clown nights, no alternative nights. Um, sorry about that. I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> That's <laughs> alright. Now there's loads, so it's great. Uh, but yeah, we were definitely, I don't know if one of the first, but we were definitely um, one of the first like long-term regular every week uh, reliable clown comedy nights. And um, anyway, we the, the ethos of Lost Cabaret is that you can get up there, be an idiot, and you can flop and you can come back. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you can have a shit gig, learn from it, and come back next week and try again. And what this meant was that, like, for a lot of Golier students, they leave Golier and they're like, where do I go? You know, and they had this safe stage to try anything on where they knew that the performers were just gonna support them, even if it didn't work, and go get up again next week. It doesn't matter. Um, you gotta just keep trying until you find things that work and then build on those. And um, after a lot of, after time, like we had a lot of uh, very successful comedians come through. Like we had Spencer Jones and Muwan Rizwan um, and Phil Burgers came through and um, people developed like their entire Edinburgh Fringe shows from coming to do gigs at Lost Cabaret every Friday. Um, and yeah, and then over time, the community started recognizing what an asset this was for our community in London, like our alternative comedy community. So um, one of the kind of main members of Lost Cabaret, Sharni, Nuger, she moved back to Australia. She's an Australian clown. And she was like, we're bringing Lost Cabaret to Australia. So she went over there and set up a Lost Cabaret in Melbourne and then one in Sydney. And, um, and then those became collectives that continued um, to create Lost Cabaret. And then someone from there went, moved to Paris and then started a Lost Cabaret in Paris. So now we are in four cities in, around the world. Um, hilariously so, just a bunch of idiots willing to get up every week to develop and create material and support one another. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. So I I do like both art forms, like stand up and sort of clowning. I I like them both, but I think I'm much better at the clowning side of things. Like one of the thing reasons why I did Gole is because I'll do material on stage. It wouldn't work, but then I'll start talking to the audience, and then I'll get m more laughs over the bits where I'm just talking in the audience and just pissing about with them that then the actual material and then so i thought i'll come to edinburgh i'm sorry come to goli and also one of the funny things was i was doing it our show and i was doing all these other things it, it, none of it really went well and then i started doing magic tricks and i did this one magic trick where i was in the cups and the balls and one thing that happened was one of the balls was underneath one of the tables and the thing is, I didn't know about it, but they knew about it before I did. Yeah. So 
when I did the trick, I was like, oh, what's, hold on, what happened? They knew what was going on before I did. So <laughs> they laughed like mad when I failed it and I didn't know what was going on. And then I figured it out later. And then for the rest of the gig, they just kept on laughing at that. And then, yeah. yeah. And that ended up being my best show, The Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great when um, the like moments of magic or the moments of like the unexpected become, they're often my favorite part of the show, of any show. You know, when all the lights go wrong, the sound goes off, because it's not what the comedian's doing, it's how they're dealing with it. And um, that will tell you everything about a comedian, is their willingness to play in that space, the vulnerability to, you know, how they maneuver around the flop and with the flop is like, it, that's a real art form in itself. You know, how to deal with the heckler, it's an art form. It's like, there's so much in like, how do we deal with this, you know? How do we deal with a walkout? How do we deal with, there's so much potential in all of these moments that could be quite risky or quite vulnerable or scary. Um, that can become people's favorite moments of the show. But that's that's one thing I find. I think like when you those sort of moments, they, there's not really much that can beat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't write. You know, so often people are like, "Oh, that's funnier than if it, you know that's funnier than a movie," or you can't write comedy better than that. Um, and these are the moments I think that we're all looking for because they're moments of just pure life in action. There's, there, there's no idea at hand. It's just like us living and catching kind of magic or something. Um, yeah, it's like the world of the impossible. We start to play with like, wow, what is even possible? Um, yeah, there's so much in that. <laughs> and one of the things I find interesting with clowning and like with Edinburgh shows, so with Edinburgh shows for a comedian, it's just jokes, jokes, jokes. Um, but with the clown, I've I found I haven't I didn't do the clown module or the other aspects like character stuff. Mm -hmm. So one thing I want to see is how 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 do clowns develop material? Like how does that work? Um, I don't know. Lots of different ways. Some people work with you know directors or comedy writers or clown writers. Um, some people develop so like you know some people like spencer jones or milan rizwan or uh phil burgers a lot of like the alternative kind of uh clown comedians on the circuit they trial stuff out in front of live audiences you think an idea you th it's similar to stand-up you think up an idea or something that you feel is ridiculous or stupid or funny and then you go try it out at a comedy night and you refine it, you build on it, you add to it, and then, um, and then you create, you know, by and by, you start to create a whole hour-long show. If you don't have a live audience, uh, I mean, with Dan Lees, who directed my show, I would write things and then try them out in front of him. He'd be say like a yay or nay. If it was a yay, I would take it to a comedy night, try it in front of a live audience. I would know immediately this is something to keep or it's like, no, it's time to <laughs> let's lose this bit. Um, and then I go back to the drawing board. We keep refining and working on it and um, until the show is just so packed with like one thing that works after the next after the next until the whole show works oh okay because the thing that i found interesting about clowning is there'll be bit sometimes i'll do a bit and it'll fail and like a random bit i'll do something on stage and then i try and recreate that manually and it's just nowhere near the same thing yeah recreating is also an art form i think in itself um to do a show well three times is one thing, but to do a show well 70 times is like a whole other thing, you know? Um, yeah, how do you stay fresh in the moment? How do you stay with, even though you've done a show 68 times, 
how do you convince your audience that that's the first time ever and that you're in the purest place of um of you know of play of curiosity that you're open to the possibilities you might have felt that you've experienced everything but i think the thing that keeps it fresh is that your audience is different every single night you will never have the same audience ever so there's like i think that's where the magic comes like your audience brings their their collective kind of energy or collective um being and then you're working off of that and playing with that and like a wednesday night is going to be different than a saturday night you know a monday afternoon is going to be really different in the way of energy you just know that people are going to be in a different place in how they are and how they've experienced their day um and i think the more we can be i think that's like the 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 magic of the clown here is in the moment is like the more we practice like mindfulness and being in the moment and playing with what's here now the better we are at um dealing with these like yeah just uh playing the same show 70 and times in a row so effectively is like with clowning when you're testing new bits it's just seeing what works and then you've got a rather than straight stand up having everything word for word to create the creativity or the the moment you have to le- you leave a bit of openness but you have like an overall idea of what you want to achieve and then you be in the room yeah i think it's safe to say i mean everyone's going to work on a clown show in a different way but for me i like i think it's important to create the skeleton um, and then what happens in that? <laughs> That's all right. Um, is to create the skeleton of the piece. So you want to create like the skeleton, but you say with the clown show, it's safest to write a show that's on you know on paper going to be like forty five minutes long, but then in front of to leave about ten minutes of potential anything's possible space for an audience. Um, because there are some moments where like something happens in the audience and I that's like 10 minutes of my time. I need to follow that because this is like the thing that's gonna, ca- like this is the thing that's catching the audience. This is putting them in the palm of my hand. Now they're, and once you have the audience in the palm of your hand, they're with you for the whole show. It's hard to lose them. Um, so you want to get them in the palm of your hand to do anything to bring them so close to you that they're with you every second of the way um, and then keep them there, you know? And so I think, yeah, we want to be really good at being in the present moment and playing with anything, playing with our audience of the day. And sometimes, yeah, we do have like a shit, like not a shit audience. You never say a shit audience, but sometimes it's hard just like in life Sometimes, you know, you're with someone you have a complicity with, someone that there's like some kind of synergy with. You meet somebody and you're like, ah, yeah, this is like, this conversation is easy and it's playful and it's, there's so much in it. And sometimes you meet people who are like, oh, this is like really hard. You know, this is, <laughs> this is like brings up all the difficult parts of life. And I think it's the same with audiences. Sometimes you're going to face those audiences that, you know, have all come from shows that they hated. <laughs> you know, or some people are going to come with uh, no expectation. Sometimes there's going to be an audience with a ton of expectation. Um, and e- each audience is so different. And it's like, yeah how much can we be with them or put space in the show to really meet them and connect with them and see what what does this audience need or want and how can i be in best of service to them within without leaving my show behind you know but with like carrying my show that's the challenge eh? <laughs> yeah that's the challenge i mean there's so much I think clown is a lifelong obsession practice 
um, you know, discipline. <laughs> like improv, like stand up. You know, you don't just do it for a month and you're brilliant. It like it takes a lot of time to hone and practice. Okay. And how did you go about sort of touring with the shows? Like What do you mean? How, how, how did I set up the tours? But how so So you said okay so give me sort of an overview of how the shows work but how how does the process of because i know a few comedians who are building a base just by touring their stand-up shows mm -hmm. they're not, not going agent or anything they just go to pubs and they they build a relationship they try and advertise it there mm -hmm. how does sort of building a tour for a clown show differ to doing a stand-up show i don't know i've never done a stand-up show um yeah i don't know <laughs> to be honest you get a producer you get <laughs> you get a producer you decide where you want to go uh you might get a promoter and you set up some shows or maybe you want to be a promoter slash producer in which case you're doing a lot of admin and you're contacting a lot of people to organize a lot of shows <laughs> Hmm. I think it's pretty much the same as a stand-up, you know, except maybe in, like, for me, I might approach theaters more than pubs. My shows are more appropriate to theaters than they are. It's the shows that I do are more theater shows than a pub comedy show. Okay. And just a couple more questions. Uh, <laughs> How, so with the stand-up comedy scene, we've got the Edinburgh Fringe, the Brighton Fringe, we've got Hastings Fringe, we've got all these different other fringes. Yeah. And the Leicester Comedy Festival. What are clowning festivals that, that people go to? They're few and far between, but they are popping up around the place. Um, like Dan Lees and Henry Maynard uh, started the London Clown Festival um a bunch of years ago um I, i'm pretty sure there's a clown festival in edinburgh there's some clown festivals mostly clowns perform at fringe festivals so just like everyone else we don't we'll do Prague. we'll do leicester comedy festival we'll do all the same festivals as stand-ups and then we'll also maybe do some clown festivals there's a clown festival in Toronto and Mexico. I've been to a clown festival, Mexico City. There's like there's clown festivals in Argentina, Buenos Aires. Like there, there are clown festivals all around the place. Um, but there's so many different aesthetics and style of clown, like street clown, theater clown, stand-up clown, alternative clown. Um, there's that it kind of depends on the place you know okay well i want to just say thank you for coming on the podcast it's been very insightful there's a lot of things i learned about clowning that i didn't think of before oh cool good <laughs> and two other things i want to ask you are like what advice would you give to your younger self and what is the quote you'd like to live the rest of your life by mm. Hmm. The advice I give to my younger self is, uh, yeah, to follow the pleasure, to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And um, the, the quote I live my life by is, life is too important to be taken seriously. Okay. Yeah, Good. that's an Oscar Wilde quote. <laughs> Beauty will save the world. <laughs> Beauty will save the world. Yes, it will. So will laughter, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's your that's your quote. So laughter and beauty will save the world. <laughs> yeah. Great. Perfect. Now, one more thing I want would like to ask you: Is there anything you like to plug? Um, yeah, sure. Just that I've got some courses coming up in 2021. 
um, some, like I'm always running retreats, clown retreats, one week long. I've also got a six month long course um, that I'll be launching again in 2021. And also um, some online slash socially distanced um, clown life, clown and ritual courses in the new year. And so if you're somebody who wants to be a clown or is curious about clown or just wants to explore clown in the way that it relates to life, jump on board. Yeah, just send me the links as well and like. I will, yeah, thanks so much. Well, basically just my website, clownlife.org um, or Clown Life on Facebook or Zuma Puma on Facebook. Those are all the links, <laughs> but I'll right, send them nice. to you. Well, uh, yeah, thank you so much for appearing on the on the podcast. And like, oh, best of luck with everything. Take care. And yeah, thanks, Marvin. Hopefully, I'll see you again in the near future. Yeah, hopefully you delete that bit where I, <laughs> I get stuck on words. Okay. <laughs> oh, but that's amazing. What about the flop being the golden <laughs> bit? No, it's okay. I, I spend a lot of time with my vulnerability. I'm okay if you really want to keep it. That's cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I will see you. Best of luck. Stay safe and well. Thanks so well. Say thanks so well. Thanks so much. You too. You too. <laughs> Have a good night. Yeah.